Hello, friends, and welcome to the Combat Sports Psychology Podcast, Fight IQ. My name is Jesse Day, and on this podcast, we break down words of wisdom from combat sports athletes throughout history to find gems of knowledge we can apply to our own lives. If you do enjoy this content, please leave us a rating, a comment, and subscribe on whatever platform you happen to be listening on. The Fight IQ podcast drops every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific Time on FightIQPodcast.com and wherever podcasts are found online. In the realm of mixed martial arts, there's fighters who approach the game from a purely athletic and competitive standpoint, and then there's those fighters who are a little more, shall we say, vicious than most. These fighters have a killer instinct both inside the cage and outside of it, and I believe this mentality gives them an edge when applied to their sport in the correct way. So buckle in and get ready today. It's all about having a killer instinct on Fight IQ. Tank, uh, you know, we saw you, one of the few guys that smiled in the octagon looking out as you were enjoying uh, putting some punishment on your opponent. Is that something we'll see from you again or no? Well, um, that's the only reason why I'm in here. Uh, let's put it this way. You only win a fight by hurting your opponent. Uh, I've never seen anybody do something to win a fight without hurting their opponent, and that's what fighting's about. It's uh, to dominate the other person, and that's what I'm here to do. But so much of martial arts is about honor and discipline and respect. What do you, what do you think of those words? Well, that's for uh, Don the Dragonfly Wilson, and let him go do, where's he at? He's probably making a Godzilla voiceover that you'll see at 3 in the morning. Yeah, he's making oh, a lot boy. of cash, uh, Tank. Give him some credit. Well, wow, here, wow. You know what? You know what? That's the point. I'm not here to make cash. I'm here to uh, do things. I'm not here to make cash. I'm here to do things. Fans of the old school UFC days, when men had to compete three times in a single evening and groin strikes were legal, will recognize that voice as none other then the brawler who came straight from the bar stool and into the octagon, Tank Abbott. I'm going to be dating myself here, but growing up, me and my friends used to rent UFC VHS tapes from the local video store and just devour them, all the way back from UFC 1. We just loved it, and those times are what really made me fall in love with the sport of MMA. Tank, to me, was a superhero. Just a badass regular guy who would take on anyone and who in his early career was one of the very best fighters in the UFC. Now as you could hear from that clip, Tank wasn't exactly the most eloquent guy, but he didn't really have to be. And trust me, in those early days of MMA, that interview was actually poetry compared to the ability of most fighters on the microphone. The killer instinct I want to talk about here that animalistic desire to put pain on an opponent and break their will. Regardless of prize money or exposure or building one's brand, that mentality was so much more prevalent in the early days of MMA. Because at that time, the sport was barely legal and there wasn't much money at stake, especially considering how much more dangerous things were at that time compared to the modern era of the sport. Bare knuckle, groin strikes, legal, headbutts, legal, 
knees to a downed opponent, legal, extended time limits, in fact no time limit in many cases, and having to fight multiple times in a single evening to win the grand prize. I think Tank Abbott's kill or be killed mentality and the way he thought of himself as a predator closing in on his prey helped greatly to increase his chances of victory and also in striking fear in the hearts of his opponents. Now this podcast is all about applying the mindset of professional fighters to our own endeavors, whether it be business, sports, the arts, or any passion that drives us in life. How then does Tank's mentality apply? Well, as he said, he's all about getting things done. Forget the so-called honor and respect of the martial arts. He sees clear as day that this is a competition where two men enter into the octagon and the goal is to render your opponent unconscious. In the heat of battle, how on earth do honor, respect, and humility play into what's happening? It's a cage fight and a completely primal experience, and so he approaches it purely from a perspective of winning the fight. Did he enjoy the pain he inflicted on his opponents a little too much sometimes? One could say yes, he has some pretty crazy post-fight interviews after knocking his opponents out, but he had to come back and do it again in that same night to win the tournament. So having the mindset of enjoying the suffering he was inflicting, as crazy as it sounds, for Tank Abbott, it was probably a good place to be at psychologically leading into the next bout. So hold on. Should we enjoy inflicting pain on other people? Absolutely not. But whenever we are focusing on achieving something great, there is always going to be a lot of expectations and false baggage attached to our goal. The people involved in the same industry or with the same aim as us will have a way they expect us to do things, and very often, tradition and history will have a bunch of unnecessary aspects that we can cut out in the pursuit of greatness. And sometimes, we have to realize that competition is a part of our game and we can't avoid winning at someone else's expense. That's just the nature of all sports, and in many cases, life in general. For you to rise to the top, it usually means someone else has to come in second place. And if you waste time feeling sorry for them, they may rise up and snatch the crown before you can react. Conor McGregor, Khabib, what is going to happen to Conor McGregor when you get hold of him? Uh, Conor, like I said before, we're going to make him humble. You know, he and his all slept him. Anytime, anywhere, inside the cage, I saw outside the cage. You know, I'm here. And, you know, if somebody want to find me, hey, let's go. Yaquinta is real gangster. He take this fight. You know, we fight inside the cage like men, men and men, you know, like he come with all other team, with camera guys and broke bus and running from away, you know. He think he gangster, but when I meet these guys, when I catch these guys, his team crying like baby, you know. You guys can watch video, you know. If you want to find me, send me a message. Or let's talk about this business with Dana anytime, anywhere. You know, I am ready. I am born ready. For any listeners of Fight IQ who've been here since the first episode where I covered the nation of Dagestan, you'll know I have a real soft spot for that place and the fighters that it produces. And at the moment, UFC lightweight champ Habib Nurmagomedov is one of my favorite active fighters. That clip is one of the reasons why. 
He is a man who has strict principles, a code by which he lives, and he stands by that code, come hell or high water. That interview was done just after he defeated last-minute replacement Al Iaquinta, who was filling in for Tony Ferguson. Ferguson suffered a terrible knee injury and had to withdraw from UFC 223, and Iaquinta was the replacement fighter. That fight was for the lightweight title, and the newly crowned champion Habib had some harsh words for Conor McGregor and his team. Just days before this bout, a seemingly coked up and booze-filled McGregor, along with members of his team, had attacked a bus that both Habib and a number of other UFC fighters were on as it was parked at the Barclays Center. McGregor famously hurled a steel dolly at the bus window and shattered it, leaving two fighters, Michael Chiesa and Ray Borg, injured to the point where they had to withdraw from their bouts. A truly disgusting and cowardly act that was at first condemned by UFC President Dana White before he came to his senses and realized McGregor was the biggest cash cow the UFC has ever seen and he better get to praising him again real quick. The UFC even used footage from that cowardly attack in the video promotion for the lead-up to Habib versus Connor at UFC 229. I know none of that has anything to do with this episode's topic, but my god, some of the decisions made by Dana and the UFC are really hurting the sport overall in my opinion, so I have to point them out when I can and do my part, my friends. What I want to focus on here is Habib's willingness to enter into combat with McGregor and his team outside of the cage. And while for a lot of fighters this type of talk would be mere bravado to sell a fight, I believe Habib was dead serious when he said it. Leading up to their eventual showdown, Connor proceeded to severely insult Habib's family, the nation of Dagestan, and his Muslim faith, all topics considered by the vast majority of fighters to be off-limits. Habib proved that his previous talk was backed up by real principles when he leapt out of the cage after choking McGregor out at UFC 229 to attack McGregor's teammates creating an epic melee that will forever go down in mixed martial arts history. Many pundits went on to describe this melee as a terrible look for the sport of MMA, and a shameful act, but where on earth were these pundits when Conor McGregor was calling Habib a Dagestani rat, and talking about the men of Dagestan as being weak-willed and having glass chins? To single out a nation of people in this way is pure racism. Where was the UFC to put a stop to that kind of discrimination and hold their athletes to a higher standard of conduct? Uncle Dana and the UFC brass were too busy smiling while dreaming of the boatloads of money this kind of trash talk would bring them instead of doing the right thing and putting their foot down to say enough is enough. And so it came as no surprise that Habib acted the way he did after the bout because he has principles that are unbreakable and that he will stand by, I believe, even if it means his own death. Interestingly, after all the madness had subsided and he was asked on a Russian television interview what he would do if McGregor came out and apologized to him, Habib said, and I'm paraphrasing because it was in Russian, but he said something along the lines of, if he was sincere in his apology, of course I have to forgive him. Everyone makes mistakes. And if he owned up to his mistake, I would forgive him. Habib's father, who is his main coach and whom McGregor had some harsh words for prior to the fight, also came out publicly and said he forgave McGregor for those words, even without an apology. 
What this lesson entails is stand by your principles. Have a code of conduct that you hold yourself to. Have standards that dictate what is wrong and right, what you will tolerate and what you will not tolerate. Please, my friends, if you are not professional fighters yourselves, don't let these principles lead you to violence unless in defense of yourself or others, but without any kind of moral compass that makes up the very fabric of who you are as a person, it is too easy to be led astray or to attain your goal by nefarious means, which is always detrimental in the long run. Finally, be willing to forgive those who you feel have wronged you, because resentment and holding on to a grudge, as Nelson Mandela once said, is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill your enemies. I saw some criticism. People say the punches weren't really necessary. Maybe they were super necessary. Why were they necessary? What do you mean, why were they not necessary? Because he was already knocked out at that point. But it, the referee hadn't pulled me off. And my job is to hit somebody till the referee pulls me off. So to those people, I would say, maybe don't watch him and may go back to soccer. I saw some other criticisms, perhaps, of your celebration afterwards. Any regrets at the celebration or your behavior in the cage afterwards? Uh, man, there's not too many people that I've disliked. I have over 50 pro fights, and he's one of them, you know. He talked about my manhood, talked about my culture, my ethnicity. Where, where do we drop? Why do certain people get to do stuff you, online? So you could do anything. Everything is cool before a fight. You're allowed to do and say whatever you want. Like other fighters are not doing, talking about people's religions, wife, even kids. That's cool. But after a fight, I'm not allowed to showboat and rub it in your face so you and guys like you could see it and be like, maybe I don't talk so much shit because when I cross one of these real motherfuckers, they're going to make me pay for it, man. They're going to embarrass the shit out of me. And it's not over for Ben either. He still has to deal with me. If I see him at Whole Foods, I'm going to still slap that dude up because I don't like him. Now, I know I just went from a Nelson Mandela quote about not holding a grudge to an interview clip where a fighter was holding a grudge, but hear me out on this one. That was Jorge Gamebred Masvidal after his devastating win over Ben Askren at UFC 239, where he landed a running, jumping knee to knock Ben into the nether realms and out of the fight in only five seconds, a UFC record for fastest knockout. As the referee was running over to stop the contest, Jorge landed a few more punches to the unconscious head of Mr. Askren, and once the fight was stopped, he mocked his KO'd opponent by imitating the knockout pretending he was Ben and falling to the canvas, and imitating knockouts is something that Tank Abbott used to actually do as well to mock his opponents. Jorge is one of those fighters, much like Habib, who has a code of conduct and a set of standards he holds both himself and other fighters to. He does not believe in talking trash about your opponent unless you are actually prepared to throw down and settle that beef outside of the cage and in the parking lot, or as he mentioned there, in a Whole Foods while purchasing kale. Sometimes things go down in Whole Foods, apparently. I'll have to stop by that place more often to have a look. The point is, don't say it unless you mean it. In the lead-up to UFC 239, Ben Askren talked a ton of trash about Masvidal, as he tended to do about all his opponents, and just his fellow fighters in general. He loved pressing people's buttons and stirring the pot, and for the most part, it worked very well for him. Fans loved to follow his antics on social media as he zinged other fighters and used his famous catchphrase, boom, roasted, as everyone laughed and gave him a like. Everyone, except for Jorge Masvidal, that is. You see, 
Masvidal doesn't understand the concept of insulting his opponents to gain clout on social media or to sell pay-per-views. He doesn't see any value in putting someone down unless you truly loathe them and are willing to throw down when you see them. So from his perspective, Ben's antics were actually a personal attack that needed to be answered one way or another. Again, I have to stress the fact that this episode is not about being willing to fight people who insult you in a Whole Foods. Rather, it's about having standards and being consistent with who you are. We all like to wear masks sometimes to pretend we're something that we're not to impress others or to try and open doors that can help us rise up the rankings in whatever it is we're doing. The problem with that method is eventually you will become exposed. Eventually, people will see through your act and will either call you out on it or distance themselves from you completely. Short-term profits at the expense of long-term losses will never be a viable strategy in fighting or in life. Be consistent in your words and your actions and make sure they align with each other. A lot of fighters talk a lot of smack and then fall silent when confronted backstage about their words when the cameras are off. I'm not saying Ben's approach was right or wrong. Everyone has their own way, and Ben did indeed build a massive following that still sticks with him today off of his quirky insults and over-the-top personality, along with his very real and world-class fighting ability. But if you take his approach, be warned that eventually you will come up against a Jorge Masvidal in your life, someone who will not tolerate your desire to run your mouth to gain popularity without the cojones to back it up. Ben did try to back it up in the cage, of course. That's what fighting is about, and he took his loss very well. But for me, I'd rather just keep my mouth shut and let my work ethic and commitment do the talking. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the Fight IQ Podcast. We are up every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific time at fightiqpodcast.com and wherever podcasts are found online. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, so many more, Spotify, of course. So wherever you're at, you can just search Fight IQ and find us. My name is Jesse Day. I'd love to hear from you. Drop me an email at info at fightiqpodcast.com. And if you'd like to support the show, consider becoming a patron on Patreon, patreon.com slash fightiqpodcast, where you can have a direct influence on the topics I choose for this program. I'll see you guys next time on Fight IQ.